Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Awesome. So let's just go ahead and kick and jump into what we're doing today. We're in a series. This is week six of a series called Running with the Giants. And uh, here is the, the key verse for this entire series that we've, we've shared it every week, and, and I'll share it again. It's Hebrews 12.1. It says, therefore, now, you know, when you read your Bible and you see a word therefore, especially at the beginning of another chapter, like if you're like some people, the re- way they read their Bible is they just kind of trust that God's going to lead them and they flop their Bibles open, you know? So if you get to a chapter that starts with therefore, you know that there's something before it that you probably need to understand in order to get what it's getting ready to say. And so for this one, for chapter 12, it starts off with therefore. It's referring back to uh, chapter 11 where we see these giants of the faith that are there, all right? And so that's what it's talking about. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those giants of faith. In other words, they've run their spiritual race and their life journey. They're done. They're in heaven, and they're watching us kind of in the bandstand cheering us on as we run our race at the time. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I love that this is included in your Bible because what it points to is the fact that it understands, God understands that the journey, the spiritual journey that you're on is not easy. It's not easy. In fact, there's things that you're going to have to throw off and be intentional about separating yourself from so that you can do the next part here and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, every week I've shared that verse, and I haven't really hung out too much on on the verbiage, but this week I'm going to because there's one word here that is really going to be our focus today, and it's that word, perseverance. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And when you look at this word perseverance, here's what it means. It means patient endurance. Some of y'all are already done with this message. Nope. No thanks, Aaron. I don't want patience. I'm good with that. Y'all know when you start praying for patience, what God does is he starts to bring something in your life, you know, that, that you'll have to work on being patient about, right? So some of you know that, and you're like, no gracias, Aaron. We're out. We're all done. But I want to tell you that, that God wants to do something in your life, and he's going to do it through patient endurance, through your perseverance. And so who, what we're going to do this week and what we've been doing every week is calling one of the giants of the faith out of the stands and having them run a lap with us. And what this does is, I don't know if you've ever run a race before, but, but running with somebody who's been there before, somebody who's done it before, is helpful. Because not only can they be an encouragement to you of what's, what's coming up, but they can, they can share with you, hey, this is what's down the road. This is how you navigate this. This is how you deal with this. And so we're calling giants of the faith out of the stands to run with us because they have life principles to teach us. They have encouragements to offer us. And so this week we're going to call Sarah out of the stands to run a lap with us and share with us. Now Sarah was the, the spouse of Abraham, and Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, okay? And their story starts in Genesis 15. Verse 1, it says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. Now, notice his name here, by the way. It's not Abraham. When Before Abraham begins to trust God and engage in a relationship with God, his name was Abram. Later on, when he begins to consider God faithful and to count God's promises 
as, as good, like he's going he's to believe him and follow him before he places his faith in God. He's Abram, but after that, he becomes Ham, Abraham, that H-A, which, by the way, is the Hebrew word for God, that gets added to his name. Same thing with his wife, Sarah. Her name was Sarai, and when she placed her faith in God, her name was changed to Sarah. In other words, God said, I'm going to put myself into you, and I'm going to begin a work, and I'm also going to change your name to reflect that, right? So God says to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. You know, anytime you see a promise from God come into play in the Bible, you see this phrase, don't be afraid. Like angels would appear to people, and it's the first thing out of their mouth. Don't be afraid, here's God's promise. God speaking to his people, don't be afraid, here's what I want to do. Jesus on the scene, don't be afraid, for with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, right? It's, it's this, this promise, but there's a, hey, this don't be afraid, because what happens is when God wants to do something in us and do something for us, there's a, generally a process that's associated. And what he wants to constantly assure you of is, hey, this process is not always going to be fun, and it may even take some time, so don't be afraid. Hang in there, right? That's the encouragement. I love that it's always there. And he continues, and it says in verse 2, But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. He says, God, I got no kids. It's great that you're giving me stuff and you're going to give me blessings, but I got nobody to pass it on to. What's the point? Give it to someone else. No No kids. And he says, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Now, what you need to understand about this promise that God gives to Abraham and ultimately to Sarah as well, this promise was given 25 years before it ever happened. That's a long time to wait. That's a long time of waiting on God's promise to come through. In fact, it took them to a place as if they weren't already there, but it took them to a place where childbearing was not even an option anymore. Where if it was going to happen, it had to rely totally on God's grace and his ability to do that thing which he said would happen. And that's constantly where we see God taking us. Into a place where we're faced with the impossible so that we learn to lean into him and trust that what he said he would do, he will do. Regardless of what it looks like to us. Regardless of whether we can wrap our brains around it. And so this promise happens a long time before it even happens. Their bodies have shut down. It's not even possible for them to have babies. And I think that God does this for a reason. He, he absolutely does it for a reason. And when he does it, he tries to help us understand it. But that's problematic in and of itself. Look, continues on to verse 5 and says, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So here's Abram. No kids, and he's saying, you haven't even given me one. God's like, you're going to have a son. And he said, I'm going to try to help you understand my plan for you so that you can see it. Step outside of your tent and go look at the stars and count them. Has anybody ever tried to do that before? Like, come on. Now, look, I used to ride in the hatchback of a, 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 Chev, a Chevette, right? And, and you know what I'm talking about. And, and that's all you could do when you were laying back there and you just look up at this, you just count the stars. It's not possible to count the stars, God's like, look, here's my plan for you. You're going to have that many descendants. Go count them. And then he says, if you can. Because oftentimes when God is trying to explain his plan to you, he wants you to understand it. That's his nature. He wants you to understand his plan. He wants you to see what he has for you. 
But you, you can't even wrap your brain around it. That's, that's the nature of God. Be, by the way, because if you could understand all of God's plans, wouldn't that kind of make you equal to him? And wouldn't that kind of make you God? Like by his very nature, he, he wants you to. He's drawing you in and tries to explain, but you, you're just not going to be able to do it. You, you, you're just not going to be able to do it. So today's message from Sarah is for, for when you can't understand God and impatience seems to threaten to overwhelm you. It's, it's the, hey, I heard God's promise. I, I read it in his word, but I, but I don't understand how it's going to play out. I don't understand how it's for me. And impatience threatens to overwhelm you because while you're waiting on God, you're like, well, I'm going to figure this out myself. I'm going to figure out how to make this work. And Sarah, she got impatient and she tried to take care of it on her own. And what she would tell you as a result of that attempt is that she messed up. It is she made a mistake. Let me share this truth with you. Are you ready? A moment of patience can save you a lifetime of regret. Some of y'all be writing that stuff down, tweeting it out. Don't quote me because I stole it from someone else. But, but a moment of patience will save you from a lifetime of regret. Spouses, when you're upset with your spouse, a moment of patience will save you a lifetime of regret. Single, some of you are just upset at the process that God, God's putting you through. You're like, oh, why aren't I married yet? How come somebody ain't out there for me? A moment of patience will save you from a lifetime of regret. You trying to sort it out on your own, just be patient and wait. Young people, I see you, I'm looking at you right there. A moment of patience when you're being tempted to do stuff that you know you got no business doing. A moment of patience, just, just chill save you a lifetime of regret. If you get nothing else, you're going to remember that one today because I said it four or five times. How many people, when you were younger, you prayed and prayed, maybe when you were in high school, that you would be able to marry someone? How many, how many of you ever prayed a prayer? Lord, just let me marry that one. Let me, let me have that one. Let me marry that one. All right, hands down. How many of y'all are glad today that God didn't answer that prayer? Come on, let me see some hands. Yeah. Right, because you're sitting on Facebook and looking at him, and you're like, oh, Lord, we dodged a bullet. Because he used to be a hunk, but now he's just a chunk. Thank God. We missed that. But like some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered. Yeah, come on, somebody. First service, they couldn't hang. I was singing it to them, and they said, unanswered prayers. I was like, that's not how we play. If I sing it, you sing it back. That's what we do. Thank you. Second service, you rock. <laughs> but we're, but, but we're, we're glad he didn't answer today, but then what were we doing? We were doing nothing but giving God a hard time. We're giving him a hard time just begging him every day, harassing him because he didn't answer our prayers, fussing at him. And impatience can threaten your future and overwhelm you. That's just what happens. And Sarah would tell you, don't complicate God's promise with your solution. Just, just don't do it. Because what Sarah does is she's got this promise to have a kid and she takes matters into her own hands. And so we're going to look at her story today. I'm going to give you three teaching points from it. And then I'm going to offer you three encouragements that Sarah would give you in your faith journey. The first thing is you need to trust God 
even if it takes a long time, because it probably will. We don't like this part of God, do we? Because we're, we're sitting, we're looking at God, and we're like, you have the power, and I believe it, I receive it. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. All the impossible things are possible with God, and so if I just ask him for it, and I walk up to the vending machine, and I push A11, ain't I just supposed to get it? That's what we consider our prayers, right? We're like, because if we were all powerful, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be concerned about the consequences or how everything else played out. If we wanted something, we would just have it, right? And so we look at God that way, like he's a vending machine, and we push our buttons, and we want him to give it to us now, not later. We, we want it, but God is notoriously slow, or at least a slow in our understanding of what slow means. I heard a story about a guy who was talking to God once, and he said, hey, God, he said, what's a million dollars like? Or he said, he said oh, excuse me, he said, <clears throat> he said, what's a million years like to you? And the man answered, he said, or, and God answered and said, well, a million years to me is like a second. And the guy thought for a minute. He said, hey, God, what's a million dollars like to you? And God said, a million dollars to me is like a penny. And the guy thought for a moment. He said, hey, God, can I get one of them pennies? And God said, yeah, in a second, I'll get that for you. And so, <laughs> that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Genesis 16.1 says, now Sarai, look at her name. God's, she's still not allowed God into her life to work in her. Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Now look at this. She's so overwhelmed by her impatience that, that she's decided to adopt some bad theology to make herself feel better. She's shifting the blame that God has kept her from having kids. When God said, you're gonna have kids, she, she's, got this, she's adopted this bad theology and so here's her solution. She says to Abram, go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. She's like, I don't know what God is doing, but let me go ahead and try to help this. Let me go ahead and get a, get a surrogate. Now, back in the day, they didn't do it medical like you would know today when you get a surrogate. To, back in the day, it was what you think it is. Okay? Now, let me just help you, gentlemen. Your wives are going to have some crazy ideas from time to time. And if she comes up with this one, it's a no thank you. Let me just help you in your marriage. All right? It's, it's a no, never. That may sound appealing, but it's a no. Okay, because here's why. Here's what happened. As you see Sarah and Abraham's story play out, Abraham agrees to it. And so he has a child with, with Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. He has a son named Ishmael. And now there's several problems with this because as it plays out, Sarah then begins to become jealous of that relationship. And she wants to punish Hagar for her idea. It even gets Abraham to send her away because she's so jealous. This is why it's a bad idea. And so it causes chaos in their life. A young woman and a child get sent off into the desert with some food and some water. Good luck. Not only that, but Abraham, I mean, this is a spoiler alert, by the way. This is kind of the end of the story, okay? Abraham has a son with Sarah. There you go, sorry. <laughs> And his name is Isaac. And through Abraham and Isaac comes the whole Jewish nation, okay? 
And as we read our Bibles and even see playing out before our very eyes today and throughout history, Ishmael, who is the son he had through Hagar, is the father of the Arab nation, the, the Muslim world. And we see all throughout history as the Arabs and the Jews are constantly at each other's throats. Sarah's surrogate solution to the problem her impatience led her to introduce chaos not only to her family, but the entire world. Your decisions bear weight more than you can even understand. We have to learn to trust God, even if it takes a long time. And we need to learn to trust God, even if it seems ridiculous. We need to get used to this part of God. That God's ways are not our ways. That we can't always understand what it is he's asking us to do or how that plan will play out. Because God doesn't do much that's normal. But most of us, we want our Christianity normal. We want an hour and 15 service. We want to drink our coffee while we do it. We want to sing or not. We, we, we want to be able, we want to have somebody talk to us or not on a Sunday morning. We want it all normal. We want to walk with Jesus. We want to say yes to, to him being Lord of our lives so we get that fire insurance, you know what I'm saying, so we don't go to the H-E double hockey sticks place. Hell, for those of you, if I spelled it wrong for you. We don't want to go there. But we don't want to say yes to all the other stuff that Jesus asked us to do. No, 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 that, we don't, that stuff seems abnormal to us. God's ways are oftentimes upside down. They're counterintuitive to the way the world does things. And so we're like, no gracias, no, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want any part of that. And in fact, you know that God's normal is the actual normal? And the way we do things is the backwards way of doing things? Our, our way is the wrong way. In fact, God calls man's wisdom, in other words, the best that we have to offer, foolishness. And so he said, I'll use the foolishness of man to confound the wise. This is who God is. He uses what we consider to be abnormal to do his work. Do you know that miracles aren't normal? Does anybody know that? For the Seriously, let me, let me prove it to you. How many times have you heard a story about a person dying and then they just rose from the dead spontaneously? That's not normal. When somebody dies, they're dead. But, but not in God's economy. Jesus shows up on the scene and people rise from the dead. God raises them from the dead. It's not normal to have someone with a high fever, sick laying in bed. Somebody comes in and prays to the invisible God that he would heal them and their fever leaves them and they get up and walk away healed and begin to serve people. That's not normal. It's not normal to have five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 men and their wives and children. That's not normal to have it multiply in their hands. That's not, that's not normal, but this is, this is God. He's not normal, or what we consider normal. And for us to always want normal, we remove ourselves from a miracle-working God because miracles aren't normal. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm preaching 50% I'm preaching better than, than how you're shouting, and that's okay. <laughs> just 50% just better, that's all. We have to be careful as followers of Christ that we don't get uncomfortable with the ways of God. 
For example, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just call this out. And, and, and I'm not, I'm, look, I'm not putting any guilt on you because my job is to lift the guilt off of you, right? That's, that's not it. But some of you come in and you, and you, you look at people in, at, during our worship service and they're raising their hands and they're singing and, and maybe they get a little excited and they let out a praise God or something like that. And you're like, y'all are just fanatics. You don't want to be part of it. But, but let me tell you something. There's an experience there that you don't know anything about that you're just kind of pushing away from it because it seems abnormal to you. And those of you that have read about how the word praise in the Bible, because it's written in Hebrew, right, and translated into our language, they, they translate the, word, the, the words used for praise, there's seven different meanings, and they're all physical expressions of love and adoration towards God. It's singing, shouting, clapping hands, it's raising your hands, it's bowing in worship, it's all these physical expressions of love. And yet you look at those and you see them in the Bible and you're like, well, those are in the Psalms, Aaron. <clears throat> and don't you know that those are just poetic? Those are not supposed to be literal. So we're not going to, that's how you reconcile that you're not going to participate. But I'm going to tell you something. These words are there. The, 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 the word praise is how God likes to be loved. Do you all understand what a love language is? People have a love language. Sometimes they have one or two, but there's five main love languages. And God's love language, when you speak to someone in your love language, they, they, love, they love that. And God's love language is praise. He says, look, I'm not trying to make you do something so that you get all excited and emotional about it. No, I'm trying to help you understand that there's an experience God wants for you because when you love someone in their love language, there's no experience like it to watch them light up. There's no experience like praising God with uplifted hands and joining in a group of people to do that. Look, and I get it. I didn't start church. Right? You say, Aaron, are you preaching a message on raising your hands in service? Well, kind of. I mean, it's not what it's all about, but listen. I didn't come into a church and, and with my hands raised the first time I got in. I did like a lot of you did when your first time came here. Put my hands in my pocket, and I stood up because they asked me to during the worship service. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But let me help you so that you can, because you don't, you don't want to push away from it because it's not your normal. God has something that may be abnormal for you that is beautiful. So here, let me help you get free a little bit. If you stood with your hands in your pockets today, let me help you do this, all right? The first thing you can do is let your toe get some freedom, okay? You can just tap your toe, right? Because ain't nobody looking at your feet, right? They're looking up at the screen and they're looking at the band. You're, you can sit in there and tap your toe all day long. Nobody will see it, right? It's underneath the chairs. And then you can kind of let your arms get a little freedom if you want to, you know? You can kind of do a little flap like this. And maybe, maybe if you want to, you can sway. It's not, you don't have to do anything crazy. It's just like a slow sway with the music, you know? And then, and then you can take the next step, right? What's your next step from there? You can let your hands get out, and you can do this simple thing. You're just going to carry the TV. You're just going to carry the TV. It's just like this. Or if you've got a big screen, it's out like this. You know what I'm saying? You just, you just do like this. And then, and then once you get comfortable there, you can, you, you can maybe hold the baby. Like, just hold my baby. This is it. Right here. Or you can say, this is how big my fish was. Or if you're a liar, you can go like this. Whatever you want to do, but this is just... You can get there, okay? You can get, and then we can deal with the Mufasa and the touchdown later. You don't have to take that step right at the beginning. <laughs> Second service rocks. All, all I'm saying is, is don't push back on an experience because it's abnormal to you. It's in your Bible. God loves for you to love him this way. So, so, so just do it. 
Just just do it. Don't be afraid. Dive in. Trust God even if it seems ridiculous. Come into an hour of prayer and praying to an invisible that God that you can't see seems ridiculous. Come anyway. Just trust God. Come. Come learn what it's all about. Tonight, 6 or 7. Be here. Genesis 18.10. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now at this point, it's been 24 years, and the angel of the Lord's come back to Abraham, and he's talking to him again. Abraham's 100, and Sarah's 90. This is the impossible scenario, all right? And he says, now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already old and well-advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. Now, it wasn't that kind of laughter like, wow, that's awesome. Like, you know, you could kind of laugh and giggle like, thank you, Lord. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was like the, (laughs) right. It's mockery. Sarah's mocking God. Like, really? And this is what she says as she thought. She's laughing as she thought. After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? But God heard it. And watch God's response. He's, he's almost offended by her mockery and laughter. He says, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Look, we gotta be careful that just because something seems abnormal to us, that we don't laugh and mock God. We just need to trust him even when it seems ridiculous. And we need to learn to trust him even if those around you don't. This is the third lesson from Sarah's life. Even if the people around you don't. Check it out. You know that the moment God gives you a promise, the enemy's going to put people in your life who are going to tell you that that's not true. Oh, well, if if God's the God that heals and you're supposed to get healed, how come that you're still sick? Well, you know, I mean, look, I'm one of those guys. I've had back issues since I was about 20 some years old. I'm in chronic pain, and I've prayed for so many years for God to heal my back. I've been in um, incredible services where I've had people of faith pray for me and look me in the eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can tell they got faith, and they're like, I'm going to pray for you, son, and you're going to be healed, right? I'm still in pain. Why? It's not that God's promises aren't any good. I may not see God's promise fulfilled until I get to eternity in heaven where I'll be completely healed and free of pain. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but people, pe- don't let people in your life tell you God's promises aren't true. Because that's what will happen the moment you grab on to a promise and declare your freedom or declare that thing that's going to happen in your life because of his word. You've got to watch it. And it's not just people, it's voices in your life. You've got to be careful what you're watching and what you're listening to and who you're following on Facebook. That's legit. You've got to be careful what the mainstream media is trying to tell you, because anymore, they're not even concerned with the truth. They're more interested in selling you their story. You understand, and the clicks and the looks and the likes, they're, they're more interested in that. They're not interested in lifting you up and encouraging you or telling you about the good that's going on in the world. You gotta be careful of the music you listen to and the movies that you watch, because man, you'll watch a movie and you'll start to believe that what you saw on the screen was truth. These different voices in your life We'll try to lead you away. It's time to trust God even when the people around you don't, even when the voices around you don't. It's likely that people told Sarah that she wasn't going to have a baby at 90 because honestly, she really should have been a great grandma at that point, right? And so look what it says, Genesis 21. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. 
<laughs> and she said, and she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? She's like, who would have said this? Nobody agreed with me. Nobody said God's promises are true. God's going to be faithful. God, you're going to have a baby at 90 years. Nobody, nobody was crazy enough to say that to Sarah. Nobody. She said, who would have done that? Nobody. Yet, I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah would tell you that God knew what he was doing. She would tell you that her solution was a poor substitute for God's promise. And because this is where she lands, after spending 25 years waiting on his promise, maybe vacillating in her faith, going back and forth between doubt and trust as to whether God was actually going to do this thing, she, she ends up in the hall of faith found in Hebrews anyway. We go to Hebrews 11, 11. This is that, that, that hall of faith, that those giants that I'm talking about. And it says, and even Sarah, not and Sarah, and even Sarah, that chick, the one who laughed at God, the one who mocked him winds up in this hall of faith, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Y'all know, no matter how much we mess up, no matter how far away we run from God, no matter how much we doubt him, no matter how much we distrust him, that God is faithful. Doesn't matter what you do, God's faithful. In fact, he's, he's ready with forgiveness. He's ready with open arms. He's ready to give second chances, not because you've earned it or because you said sorry enough, but because he's faithful. That, that, that's his nature. He, he's ready. So as we finish this lap with Sarah, I just want to offer you three, three encouragements that, that I think that she would give us as we wrap up our time with her. The first one I think she'd tell us is don't try to get ahead of God when he isn't moving fast enough for you. Don't, don't try to do that. Don't try to get ahead of him. I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm impatient. When I want something, I want it now. You can ask my wife. I'm a little, like once I got, got, got my eyes set on something and my mind determined I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it and I want to do it right now. And this carries over into my leadership. You know, we, we launched this church and, and we launched in a funeral home. And uh, that in and of itself has a shelf life. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, like, <laughs> but what we were doing there at the funeral home is, is uh, it, we were doing set up and tear down. That's where you, where you set things up. But the thing is, at the funeral home, they had a bunch of furniture everywhere. And so we had to remove the furniture from the space that we were using and then set up our equipment. It was all couches and heavy stuff. And so on Saturdays, we did that. And then on Sundays, after we did two services, we had to put all our stuff back and then put all the furniture back. And we did this for a year and a half. And I'm going to tell you, we, we were done. We was ready. We'd outgrown the space and we were thankful for that. And so we began to look for another place. But I'm, after talking to banks and talking to real estate agents and looking around this city, I grew impatient. And I tried to get ahead of God's blessing for us. And we started looking at a place that was not a good fit for us. It was, it was prominent visually on Main Street for us. It would have been awesome because everybody would have seen us. But it wasn't the best fit for The parking lot wasn't right. The space was all wrong. It, it, it just wasn't right. But I was ready. I'd already visited a bank. I was already working on the financials. I was ready to sign just to get it done because I wanted to be out of the funeral home and into our next space. 
But as it would turn out, I have overseers and I have a board who said, Aaron, hey, we need to pump the brakes a little bit and use some wisdom here. We need to be patient. Don't get ahead of God. Don't, don't, because this feels like what we would do. And this is not, nobody had any peace about it. I didn't either. I just wanted it done. Y'all, you know what I'm saying? Don't judge me. That's, that's the truth. And here we are. We're, we're back in another situation. Our kids' ministry, y'all are some fruitful and multiplying people. Our kids' ministry space is overrun. I mean, bless you. That's awesome. It's clear that you gentlemen love your wives. You don't necessarily have to love kids to have kids. You just got to love your wife. You know what I'm saying? And it's clear y'all love each other. We work on that all the time. Y'all love each other. That's good. <laughs> but our space is overrun. And so we're, look, we're on, the, on again looking for another place. We're, we're, we're looking. And I'm ready for it to be over. I'm already. I'm done. So we, we, we get ahead of God. And so we're patiently waiting. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient. So, all right, God, if you're going to take your time and you're going to do what you're going to do, this begs a question that I need an answer for. What am I supposed to do in the meantime, right? What what, what am I supposed to do with myself? Because I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do something. Because it's painful to wait on God to to work, isn't it? It, it's, It's hard. But I'll give you a secret. The secret of being patient is doing something else in the meantime. So that, that seems like a no-brainer, Aaron. Well, is it? Secret to being patient is doing something else in the meantime. Look at Psalm 37.7. I love this verse. I come back to it often in my life. When I feel like I've prayed until I can't pray no more, when I feel like I've done all that I can do, God reminds me of this. Be still. Be still in the presence of the Lord. And wait patiently for him to act. But God, I can do this. I know this person. I can mobilize this person. We've got this amount of money. I've got this kind of favor. I've got this, this, and this. Let's go. Be still. Be still. And wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. In other words, everybody else is getting it all done. And you're just sitting here waiting on God. We hate that part. We, we, we really do. Now understand, the second half of that first sentence you can't do unless you do the first part of it. You don't get to patiently wait on God unless you take time to be still. So here's how you do that. If you're facing the impossible and you find yourself waiting on God, here's here's how you be still. Take five or ten minutes a day, lest that impatience overwhelm you. And be still. I'm not even talking about praying. I'm not even talking about reading your Bible. Turn on some worship music. And just be still. And let God calm that overwhelming feeling in your heart and life. Be still before him. And wait. Just, just, just wait on him. Shut out the voices. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Some of you are facing the impossible and you find the way that you're going to medicate that, the thing that you're going to do is not being still and waiting on him. You're going to stare at a television or you're going to watch a movie or you're going to whatever. Just shut it all off. Be still and wait. Then I think Sarah would tell you, when you must wait, and I love this, focus on what's happening in you, not on what's happening to you. See, oftentimes we, we look at what's happening to us, and that's the point of pain. That's the thing that we're, we're screaming about. But we need to be assured that when there's pain in our life, that God wants to do something in you. 
But most of us, we ask God for help, and we want him to help us, and God's like, okay, I'm going to help you, but I'm going to teach you something in the process. And we say, no thanks, just fix it. I want that fire insurance so I can go to heaven, and I'm okay getting there fully immature, not mature the way that you want me. No, I don't want to grow. Just, just take care of it. But God wants you to grow up. He wants you fully mature in your faith, but you, you don't. Let me tell you something. God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. God's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. And if you think about this, you say, well, that's a really mean God. Well, you know what? You're the same way. Because I don't know a single one of you parents who has a kid who's in bed and you wake them up for school and they go, nah, I don't think I'm going to go today. And you're like, okay, honey, go back to sleep. We'll try again tomorrow. You don't do that. No, what you do is you introduce some pain in their life for their future purpose. That's who you are. You're more concerned about their character than you are their comfort, and God's the same. He will allow pain in your life to create character in you. We tend to think that pain is telling us that something is wrong, that we need to get out from underneath of it, but, God, but when God is involved, the pain you're going through is good, and it's gonna be used for your benefit. It's just like childbirth. Pain isn't an indication that something's wrong. Pain is an indication that you're getting ready to have your blessing. Because on the other side of the pain of childbirth is motherhood. I know plenty of women that have had a baby and went through the pain of it, and nine months later, they're ready to do it all over again. Because the blessing on the other side of the pain was greater than the pain itself. So they just push through. They count it worthy. This is what God wants to do in you. So don't focus on the pain you're going through now. Focus on what he's doing in you through that pain. Bear down. Look what the Bible says. Romans 8, 24. This is the message paraphrase. It says, that is why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. In other words, we're growing big. And we, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. It's that baby inside you, Right? But the longer we wait, the larger we become. And every woman that's ever been pregnant said a good amen right there, right? <laughs> the longer we wait, the bigger we come. We become. Now, guys, don't ever use that verse against your wives, all right? You lose some skin, you do that, all right? That's, it's not permission, but it's, it is for them. It's not for you, all right? <laughs> the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy the closer you are to delivery, the more pain you experience. And God is trying to do something in you, and you're experiencing pain. But you have to ignore the pain that is present and let hope rise inside of you for the blessing that's on the other side of that pain. Don't focus on what's happening to you. Focus on what's happening in you through it, because God promises to use that pain. Patience is the ability to wait, or is not the ability to wait, but it's how you act while you're waiting. God wants to do something in you. James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some of you are going through stuff that you don't understand. 
That's painful. I'm not even going to try to take that away from you and say, you big baby, suck it up. No, I'm not trying to do that. What you've experienced is painful. It's possibly even unjust. But I promise you, whatever it is that you're going through, God has a purpose and a plan to work you into something better than you were before and to bless you on the other side of it. That's the truth. That's the truth. And you need to understand God is committed to this process. And when we embrace that God wants to work in us, deliverance is around the corner. So the sooner you get to that place where you're like, all right, I don't like my current state, but I'm gonna go ahead and open myself up and learn. I've been resisting, but I'm gonna learn. What is it, God? Teach me. Teach me what I'm supposed to learn in the middle of this injustice, this mess, this thing I don't understand, this trial that I'm facing. The last thing I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm done. The last encouragement from Sarah is this. Even our very best cannot possibly compare to anything God has in mind for you. You think you can do better, I'm gonna challenge you to go ahead and try to do it yourself. I would rather you just trust me. I would rather you just trust God than that you would give your life to him. You could try it yourself, but what happens if you try to do it yourself is that you're gonna make a mess of things. That, that's just how we operate. We, we tend to do things our ways and it's sinful. But look, God has something better for you. Isaiah 64 4 says, since before time began, no one has ever imagined, no ear heard, no eye seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. His plan is worth waiting. His plan is worth giving him time. God has a much better plan for your life than the one you have for yourself if you're willing to wait for it. I realize that's painful. I realize that's not popular. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. And right here is where I'm going to drop the mic and we're going to pray. So let's pray. I know there's many of you in this room right now. You're, you're dealing with diverse trials and situations in your life. You're not even sure why it's present, why God has allowed it, why the environment has been created. You don't understand why the pain is present. Maybe you've got a, a son or a daughter that is far from God and you pray for them often and you're not sure why they haven't come back home yet. Or maybe, maybe you've got an addiction, somebody with an addiction in, in your family and you've been praying for that thing to break and, and it seems to remain or get get stronger and take them farther and farther from your family or maybe that's you you're the one with the addiction I'm not sure some of you are facing financial difficulties you've you've changed your life you've submitted to God's plan and are, are being good stewards of your finances and yet you're still facing the consequences of your previous choices and you're ready for God to turn that situation around others of you are facing marital issues you you've submitted your life to God you're following him you're doing things his way and yet it seems like seems like that spouse is never going to return to you, like forgiveness is never going to be an option. I, I don't know what your trial is that you're facing, but I promise you that God is faithful and that he has something in store for you that is better. So Father, I just pray right now that you would give us patient endurance, that we would learn to wait on you and let you do your work that we would submit our lives to you and that we would cease all of our surrogate solutions to the problems. That we would just trust you, Lord, completely and totally. Now, I just want to speak to this room for just a minute. Keep your head bowed and every eye closed. There's those of you here that you've, you've been in charge of your life. 
Maybe you've, you've walked with God before, but you took charge of your own life back. Or maybe you've never been in a relationship with him where you've surrendered control of your life. You've done things his way. And to be honest with you, you've made a mess of your relationships. You've made a mess of your thought life and your attitude. And as a result, you've made a mess of your opportunities. And you're here today and you're hearing about a God who has a plan for you despite all that. A God who loves you despite all of those decisions. A God who's ready to welcome you and receive you into relationship, not because you're good, but because he's that good. That he has illogical and irrational love for you. It doesn't even make sense, but it's overwhelming you in this moment. And you're ready to make a decision to say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. That means you're in charge. And I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you want to be counted in on that prayer to say yes to Jesus, Jesus, take control of my life. Pray that prayer with me right now. And if you're going to do that, I'm just going to ask. I'm not going to embarrass you, bring you up here, or make you say anything. Just in your seat, would you just slip your hand up now and say, Aaron, I'm going to pray that prayer with you. Just, just slip your hand up in the air now. Church, let's pray with those that are saying yes to Jesus today. Everybody pray out loud, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Be Lord of my life. Today and every day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.